0: And we're going to continue, we're continuing in our our study in the Gospel of Mark uh, this morning. We've been looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And as we look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that we uh, we see often is how... um, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Uh, in, in the book of Matthew, he refers to it often because he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. He'll talk about the kingdom of heaven, but they're really referring to the same thing, the, the kingdom of God. And, and one of the things that Jesus is saying is that he came in to usher in this new kingdom. It's different than any kingdom you've ever experienced uh, before in your life, that it's not a kingdom based on, on your upbringing. It's not a kingdom based on your social status or on your education or any, or your ethnicity, but it's a kingdom based on the love of God. It's a kingdom based on Christ and his sacrifice. It's a kingdom that's built on a completely different set of values. It's a kingdom that says that the first shall be last, and, and those who want to lead will be the servants of others, and, and that the way that you love people is by sacrificing for them. Uh, it's It talks about love in a context of that love's not an emotion, but it's an act of the will uh, that we love because Christ first loved us, and And so it takes all of those things and it teaches us how to live in a different way. And Jesus is explaining, not only through parables and stories and events of his life, but through his very life himself, what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at some more examples of that, and we're going to do it this way. We're going to look at three short parables, uh, stories that Jesus told to illustrate uh, who he is and the kingdom of God, and then we, it finishes with one uh, great story, one really fun story uh, about Jesus. So if you'll join me, we're in Mark, the fourth chapter, and we're going to begin with uh, verse 21 and read the first parable here. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to one who has been... Um, who has, more will be given, and for one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, a lot of times, if you, you know, uh, you've heard, you might have heard a sermon about this whole idea of what is given, where where he says uh, it will be, you you know, with the measure you use, will be measured to you, and people talk about, you know, if you give a whole bunch of money, uh, then God's going to give back to you, and and we get this whole thing going about the way that you use, and, and sort of the message is often, hey, give a lot of money, and then you'll get a lot of money. That's kind of the the way it's used, but that's not the context uh, of this parable that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and and he's talking about how we listen, how we pay attention to the kingdom of God. So the very first thing that he does is he says, seriously, he didn't exactly say that, but (laughs) seriously, who who would light a lamp in their house and then put a basket over it? Nobody would do that. Uh, but in Jesus' time when, when Jesus was walking the earth, the religious leaders decided that, that he didn't fit their criteria and, and that, that they and that they wanted to put a basket, they wanted to put a muzzle on the Christ on, on Jesus so that no one would see him and, and they're saying the light has come and you can't avoid it. you can't it's going to light the room. And, and he says, think about this that why do you light a lamp in your house so that you can walk about freely so that you can see obstacles that, that you know where you are and so he's giving us this picture of what it means to walk in the light and it's a familiar picture in, in the scripture if you go to Genesis the very first chapter it says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and then God said let there be light and there and light there was and God separated the light from darkness and God saw uh, that the light was good and so God created the the light that he's talking about. God created the light and he separated the darkness from the light. He gave us night and day. And then at the end of the Bible in Revelation, it talks about this, that Christ promises us that when life on this earth is through, There'll be no night there and they will need no no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light that the very presence of God will provide all the light that we need to see. They'll need, need, will not need candles anymore, will not need the sun anymore for the Lord God gives us the light and they shall reign forever and ever, amen. And that they in Revelation is referring to us, that we're part of God's plan. We're part of God's plan now and we're part of God's plan uh, in the end. Now if we go back to Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament, it says that, that as the Israelites wandered through the wilderness of Sinai, God gave them a pillar of fire to lead them by night and a pillar of cloud uh, to light the way to lead them by day. And then a uh, Later, Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, he said this The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who have lived in a land of deep darkness, and on them the light has shined. And so, 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah is talking about this light. And then, one of my favorite pictures uh, comes from the Gospel of John, and it says this Speaking of Jesus, it says, In him, was light and that light shines in the darkness and the darkness of the world can never put it out. So we have this picture from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible that God is the creator of light and Jesus is that light for mankind. Jesus is the light of the world and the darkness, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how dangerous it seems, that the darkness can never extinguish the light who is Christ and he wants us to have that picture that he wants to build that picture for us of who Jesus really is. Well, then he, uh, he says in this little passage, again, he who has ears here, and then he says, pay attention to what you hear. That if you're really listening, you'll get more. If you're not listening, you'll get less. That's what that measure is talking about. That if we're really paying attention, if we're really listening to who God is, if we're really paying attention to what Jesus is telling us, we'll get more, we'll understand more. There'll be more information. And as I was reading this this week, I was reminded of this time that I was in Colorado and I was at a conference and, and uh, a buddy and I decided that we would learn to fly fish. Seriously, you guys know me, I know you're slightly shocked, but we decided to learn to fly fish, and so uh, this place that we were at, they were offering free fly fishing lessons. I can't, that's hard to say three times fast, fly fishing lessons. They were providing those for free, and so we signed up for it, and they gave us the vest with all the fly fishing stuff, right? And um, I'm sure, man, I looked like out of the movie City Slickers or or I looked completely awkward, you know, wearing this stuff. I'm, 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 I, I can imagine now that there was still a tag hanging on it somewhere and, and I'm out there and this guy comes and my buddy and, and he's going to teach us how to fly fish. And, and we're thinking, come on, we're old jocks, we get this, you know, you flick the rod and the fish jump and you catch them and, and then I don't know what to do with them after that, but but we'll, we'll, we'll learn to fly fish because, it, you know, you see the commercials and all this fly fishing's like a big deal people love that and talk about fly fishing and it's manly and so we're out there this guy teaches how to fly fish we're out there for an hour and I'm pretty sure the fish were mocking us okay we didn't see anything we didn't catch we didn't come close to catching a fish there was just nothing there and and we're out there you know casting that fly fishing rod, doing whatever it is that you do with it, you know, and letting it hit the water and, and uh, working on the wrist, you know, all this stuff. And nothing was happening. And, and about an hour into it, we start laughing. And I said to my, my friend, I said, you know, I really wish I'd paid more attention like I was talking because I, we're clearly missing something here, that this isn't working for us. And, and, but it looked so easy you know, and it sounded so easy, and I thought, I've done all kinds of other things. I ought to be able to figure this out, right? And it just didn't work out for me, and I think that's what happens to us so often is that we hear the stories about Jesus, and, and it just seems so easy, and it seems like it ought to work out for us, and, and then I think that we get later in our lives, and we get into circumstances that are out of our control, and we find ourselves wishing that we'd listened more carefully, that maybe we'd paid more attention to those stories about Jesus, paid more attention maybe to the, to the pulls in our heart uh, to follow him, uh, to show up uh, in, in what he's calling us to do. And, and so he's challenging as emphatically as he can for us to pay attention to what we're hearing. And then he continues on, he gives us another picture in Mark 4, verse 26, he says this, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and, and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. And the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts uh, in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, th- this is a great picture for most of us today, because honestly, most of us don't know anything about farming, right? I mean, some of you might, and, uh, you know, congratulations, but most of us don't know anything uh, about farming that we go into a grocery store, and and we are, whoa, where did all this food come from? It just appears in here, you know? How do they grow that lettuce to have that plastic with holes around it, and, you know, and we have no idea, it just shows up. It just comes And, but, but if you were living in the first century and you were listening to Jesus, you'd know exactly what he's talking about because if you weren't one of the fishermen, you were a farmer that those were the two main occupations and uh, you would know what it meant to sow seed and you would know what it meant to farm. And so there's this picture of a farmer and he's casting his seed on the ground and the seed is going into the soil, but he, he can't see what's happening. He doesn't know if it's working or not until something starts to grow through the ground. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom that he says so often in the kingdom that that the seed is sown, the gospel is sown in your life, but you don't always see it right away. You you don't always know what's happening, but God is at work transforming us from the inside out that God is doing something on the inside of us and we learn to trust him that at some point that is going to grow into something that's fruitful, something that's important, something that gives life in our lives that God can use, and that's always happening, but we're not always going to see it right away. We're not always going to get to watch it grow. You know, I talk to parents sometimes, and they'll talk to me about their kids, and and they just don't see it happening, right? They don't see their kids maturing. They don't see their kids starting to love Christ. They don't see their kids doing, and and I always tell them, but but we're we're planting those seeds, and God is gonna be faithful, uh, and we don't always see those things growing in their lives, but God is at work. He's always at work in their lives, and he's always at work in our lives, and so Jesus gives us this picture uh, of first the lamp that's going to shine Uh, that's going to shine light into the world and then God is going to build his kingdom one seed at a time and watch it grow so that he can use us. And then he gives us a third picture and this comes in Mark 4, starting at verse 30. He says, and what can can we compare the kingdom of God? Uh, Or what parable can we use for it? Is it like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, and yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, and as they were able to hear, as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without parables, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. And so we have this third picture that Jesus gives us, and it's this mustard seed. I have a picture uh, for you of a mustard seed. Now, this isn't a scientific uh, study. This is Jewish tradition that they always considered the mustard seed the tiniest of all of the seeds that go into the earth and so this gives you a little perspective this person's hand how tiny the seeds are and so Jesus is using something that's very familiar to all of them and that most people would think are really insignificant that these are little tiny seeds but what Jesus says is that when those seeds are sown, as insignificant um, as they are they grow into a great Plant, and and when the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, when they looked at Jesus, they saw somebody who was really insignificant. He was a carpenter. He didn't have the education they did. He didn't have the social status that they did. He didn't have all the things that they did, and and so they they didn't want to listen to him. They they didn't want to believe in him because he didn't meet their criteria. That he was the smallest of seeds, but he looks at us and he says, "Even when you feel that way, remember what I do." when that seed is planted. And so I have a picture of the mustard tree and they can grow to nine feet tall and and some people call them shrubs and some people call them trees, but the truth is that they get really big and and really dense foliage and lots of birds. Birds love them to build their nests to stay there, that they create shade and all of these things and they grow into this great plant from a very, very tiny seed and God says, look what I do. I'm going to take the tiniest seed and I'm going to grow something that's great. I'm going to grow something that's big. I'm going to grow something that's big enough for everybody to get under, for everybody to live under, everybody to rest in its shade, for everyone to have their nest. All of those pictures that we have of this mustard seed, Jesus says from that tiny seed, look what I'm going to grow. My kingdom is going to grow one seed at a time to something great something that will change the whole world, something that creates a place for everyone who will come. And that's the picture that he wants us to have. So he's given us this picture of the lamp, and then to that, then he's added this whole idea of sowing seed and, and not always seeing what's growing, but knowing that God is at work. And then he says that tiny, tiny seed will grow into something great. And I mentioned this morning we were having communion, the idea that, that around the world, while we're sharing in communion, there are followers of Jesus everywhere, in every part of the world, who are doing the same thing, who are sharing the Lord's Supper, who are experiencing that, that, that those little seeds Insignificant, as insignificant as they may seem, are growing into great trees, and the kingdom of God is growing into a great place for everyone who will come. Everyone who will experience it. So we have these three pictures that Jesus painted for us. These three parables, and then he closes with this great story about a storm. So let let's look at at Luke four, starting at verse um, forty-five. And he awoke and he and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who is then, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now Jesus had had a busy day. What we know from um, the beginning of if Mark four is that Jesus had had gone to the Sea of Galilee, the edge there uh, on the Uh, beside the Sea of Galilee that day and such a big crowd had come and they had squeezed in so much around them that he asked his disciples to put him in a boat and move the boat a little bit out into the water so that he could speak to everybody from there. And he spoke to this great multitude of people uh, from this boat and he told them parables. He spoke to them and I'm sure that in the course of the day uh, he had healed people, that he had done all kinds of things for people. He had had a really, really full day. And so when Everything had finished and everything had died down. He told them, let's cast the boat out and let's go across the lake. Specifically, he said, let's go. We're gonna row across the Sea of Galilee. We're gonna row across the lake. And, and so uh, there were some fishermen, they knew boats. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. And, and so they said, we got you, Jesus. Okay, we're going. And, and they started to row out into the Sea of Galilee And it says that a storm came. But in the middle of that, Jesus has gone into some part of the boat and he's asleep on the cushion. He's sound asleep and the storm is raging around them and they're rowing as hard as they can and they're bailing as fast as they can and still the boat is filling with water. It's it's a pretty interesting thing because the, the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. And around the Sea of Galilee are these mountains, uh, and some reach as high as 2,000 feet above sea level. The 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 area around the Sea of Galilee is more of tropical and warm, and then above on these mountains, it's it's uh, moister and uh, more. Uh, cold, and so sometimes the wind blows that cold air down to the Sea of Galilee, where it hits the tropical air, and these storms, it's a famous area for these storms hitting without any notice, and even if you're a seasoned fisherman, and you've been on that lake your whole life, you can find yourself caught in a raging storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Well, that's what happened that night, and so the disciples are bailing, and they're rowing, and finally They do what we all do, right? They go to Jesus and they say, Don't you even care? Don't you even care that we're in a storm? I I know you guys have never said that, but I might have once. Don't you even care that we're in a storm? You told us to get in the boat. You told us to go to the other side. You, did, you started this whole thing, and now we're in a storm, and you're sleeping. Don't you care what's going on in my life? Don't you care about the, the struggle that I'm in? Don't you care about how frightening this, are, this is and how horrible this is? And, and Jesus, don't you care that we might perish here in this boat? And Jesus did what moms everywhere have done at some point in their lives, Jesus went to the stern of the boat, and he said, stop that right now, <laughs> right? Kind of. He, 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 he says he rebuked the wind, and then he told the waves, peace, be still. And, and the water turned to glass. Everything stopped. Everything was calm. The storm was calm. It, it, was, it was a miracle, and he, it's, it's, Jesus has this interesting little dialogue with his disciples at this moment because he says to them, oh man, you guys have so little faith. Don't, don't you believe? You, you've, been, you've been listening to what I've been saying. You've been experiencing what I've been doing. And it was kind of like the guy in the commercial. I think he used to be with Verizon. Now he's with Sprint. And he says, do you hear me now? Do you hear me now? Jesus is saying, I've been telling you all this stuff have you been listening? Can you hear me now? Because I've just just shown you that not only uh, do I have the the kingdom of God that is coming, but I tell you that I have the power to do it, that I'm the one who created the winds and the waves. I'm the one who, who spoke them into being. I'm the one who was there from the very beginning. And if I want them to calm down, they'll calm down. What are you guys worried about? What are you afraid of? Haven't you been with me this whole time? And and, and, what I love about this is you can't make this stuff up that that in spite of all the things that they'd seen and all the things that they'd experienced with Jesus when they were in this crisis, they were focused on bailing as fast as they could and rowing as hard as they could and they thought Jesus had abandoned them. They thought Jesus didn't care and they go to him and say, don't you even care what's going on in our lives? And I think sometimes we're so busy bailing the water out of a boat in our life and we're so busy rowing that we forget how much Jesus cares, that we forget how important we are to him, and we forget even that he's in the boat with us. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and he calmed the storm. There's another part of this story I love, because right after, you know, the the disciples are afraid, and they uh, are they're afraid of drowning, right? They're afraid of perishing in the sea there. And then after Jesus calms the storm, if you look at this story, they're afraid again. It says that when, when they, then, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The contrast is this, that the disciples went from a place of bailing as hard as they could and rowing as hard as they could and failing and being afraid of perishing to coming face to face with the God of the universe who created everything. And they experienced a whole different kind of fear. That that when you are suddenly aware that you're in the presence of a holy God, when you're suddenly aware that you're in the presence of the God who created everything, it creates a a little awe in you. It creates a little of holy fear in you that that this this look at who he is. that that I've taken him for granted, that I just got up and rebuked him. I just got up and told him, don't you care? I was talking back to the God of the universe. And that's what happened to them. They were suddenly afraid because they realized who they were in the boat with. Now, I'd like you to consider this this morning because we know that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. And if you took a little time and you sort of did a little personal life history and made a list of all the ways that God has shown up in your life to get you even here today, all of the things that God has done up to this point in your life to get you to this place, you'd be amazed, you'd be astounded that in the worst moments in your life, in the hardest moments of your life, it wasn't that God didn't care, it wasn't that God was asleep, it was that he was there all the time waiting for you, maybe waiting for you to stop rowing and ask him for help, to trust him, to put your faith in him, that that's what he's looking for. That's where the kingdom of God comes in. It's his kingdom, not ours. It's about him and not about us. Here's something else that I would like you to consider this morning. The fact is that most of us feel like that when we get in the boat with Jesus, that there should never be a storm, right? That we get in the boat, and Jesus in the boat, and that should be the storm eliminator, right? That there should never be anything that goes wrong in our lives, for goodness sakes, because we have Jesus. And here's what Jesus said He says, When you have storms, that storms were inevitable in our lives. The disciples were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they were in a storm that the one thing that he guarantees us is that there will be storms in our lives, but what he says is, I'll be in the boat with you. Will you trust me? He doesn't say there'll never be a storm. That's not a promise he makes. The promise that he makes to us is that in that storm, he'll be with us and that he is the Lord of the wind and the waves. It's a promise that we have from him. It's a guarantee that we have from Christ that he will be with us regardless. So there'll be another storm for Jesus' and disciples. There'll, another storm that's going to come, there'll be accusations and there'll be betrayal. And there'll be all, and there'll be a crucifixion and there'll be a resurrection. And Jesus will say, are you still afraid? Are you still afraid? Have you not heard me yet? Are you not listening yet? I'm still the God of the universe who loves you. I'm still in the boat with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. and Lord, for the pictures that you give us and the reminders that you give us that, that Lord, storms are coming, but you are faithful, that you are in the middle of those storms with us, and we give you thanks, and we give you praise for that this morning. And, Lord, Help our perspective that, Lord, when we find ourselves in the storm, that we don't ask you, Lord, do you care? But we thank you, Lord, that you're there, that you're there in the boat with us. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.